All right, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to the latest episode of the Challenge Accepted podcast. My name is Ian McShane. I am the Vice President of Strategy for a company called Arctic Wolf. Um, I'm delighted, as always, to be joined by uh, Adam Mare. Adam, what's your job? Hi, I am the CISO of Arctic Wolf, and it's great to be here as always. It's always great to have you here. So here's, here's something funny I found this last week, Adam. Um, bit of a callback to an earlier episode, if you like. I was driving to, to, Heathrow, to Heathrow Airport, and my usual thing on that 90-odd minute drive is to catch up on the last um, couple of uh, Darknet Diary podcasts. Like, let them stack up, stack up so I've got something to listen to. You familiar with that one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a great one. Yeah. So, so anyway, like, firstly, I almost crashed my car, right? When I, I had the Arctic Wolf as a sponsor and, and Jack with the, the host, Jack was reading out the marketing spiel. And I was like, wow, holy crap. We're like a real company, kind of similar to, to when I had as sponsoring the, the NPR podcast. But, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. What was, what was actually funny was that in one of the recent episodes, and I wish I could remember which one, Jack was just as surprised as I was that the FBI are available to help our organizations. And now, like, if you cast your mind back to one of our first episodes, I was mind blown, genuinely mind blown to hear that you can just call your local field office and ask them to give you some help. And so <laughs> hearing, hearing similar vibes from Jack on the Darknet Diaries podcast made me feel a lot less stupid than I look, I can tell you. Yeah, no, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it, it, it baffles me that people don't know it, but I guess they really just don't that you know, when you have an incident, the FBI would love to come help you at least advise on it. And then if it meets their investigative guidelines, they will come in and help investigate. And they are not into uh, blame or catch the victim situation. They are definitely in the business of trying to get the bad guys. And so, yeah, they will jump in and help. It's one of the reasons I did so much outreach back when I was an agent, I guess, not only to get people to know my name, so they'd be more likely to call me, but also so that they know that they could Mm -hmm. If they run into something and it could be as simple as, you know, they find some contraband images, you know, inappropriate images on an employee's computer. It can be even as small as that. Uh, happy to help you. Yeah, you can just you can call the phone line. You can get in touch with the cyber squad and. Yeah, they're happy to help. I love it's I love awesome. People don't know that. <laughs> I know it's just it's just so surprising. I mean, it's not the first time I've had someone else be surprised that you can do that. So that was great. But anyway, on with today's uh, uh, podcast. I'm kind of a fanboy moment for me today. I've got one of my favorite industry commentators because he swears slightly less than I do. Uh, it's a chap called Chase Cunningham. He is a retired Navy chief cryptologist. He has decades of experience in cybersecurity and forensics and analytic operations. He is known as Dr. Zero Trust, which is pretty awesome job um, description. And he's currently the chief strategy officer at Aircom Software. Chase Cunningham, welcome to the Challenge Accepted podcast. Thanks for coming. Challenge accepted. That's a good name. I like it. Yeah, there you go. So we like to get started off by really digging into like the background. We're interested in how people get into cybersecurity. So what was your path? Like I just mentioned you're in the Navy, but what was your path to cybersecurity? Uh, my path to cybersecurity was a uh, congregation of absolute idiocy and good luck combined with people seeing that I had a talent. Um, basically, <laughs> The long story was uh, I, I didn't join the Navy as a as a cyber person. I joined as a diesel mechanic um, and I spent a lot of time fixing gear that was fixable before they started installing electronics on it. Um, <laughs> once they put electronics on it, it wasn't ever right. And I got so sick and tired of trying to fix this thing. Uh, I literally snuck into the, the chief engineer's stateroom, stole the laptop that I saw the Lockheed guys <laughs> using went down and changed the settings on the on the box and then the machine was correct and was working 
just so happened while I was doing that, this, this uh, cryptologic warfare officer for the ship was walking around and he was like, you know, I, I, I was busted. I thought, oh, crap, I'm going to prison. Um, I, I actually I called my mom and said, Mom, I'm probably going to Leavenworth. And <laughs> she was like, OK, well, not surprising. Um, but anyway, two days later, after they let me sweat bullets, the cryptologic officer came and he's like, do you really like being an engine man? And I said, no, sir, this sucks. I'm tired of changing oil. And he said, OK, well, come with me. And then they put me through a battery of uh, kind of assessments. And next thing you know, I'm working my way into Intel, cyber, crypto, code breaking, all that stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. That's such a hilarious story. Like, what what kind of education did you have in, I guess, in cybersecurity before that? No experience uh, whatsoever? The only, the only thing that I did was when I was in high school, and I grew up in this little redneck podunk town in Texas, uh, I helped our, um, our IT person who was a 65-year-old uh, uh, typing teacher set up the computer lab. Like, that was it. And I could type really fast. That was that was literally my skill set. <laughs> However, I was good at figuring things out, so I figured stuff out. I you know I always thought I could learn if I read enough, and I I read a lot. So yeah, that seems to be a common thread with with most people we talk to is they're good at figuring stuff out and figuring out stuff out. Yeah, fast. I mean, I, yeah, that's what I, I I don't I don't necessarily like um, crazy certified super alphabet soup you know type things. I like just mm -hmm. people that will figure it out and make it work. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree with that. What, what was your first like cyber job outside of the military then? Uh, my first cyber job outside of the military was writing the computer network exploitation curriculum for the Fort Meade uh, military folks. So I was a contractor. I wrote the curriculum that every soldier, sailor, airman, marine goes to NSA, goes through part of my curriculum. Wow, that's, that's impressive. So what took you from that to working for someone like Forrester and, you know, selling out to the devil and, you know, trying to <laughs> advise, well, air quotes, advise yeah, companies. I mean, uh, again, more of uh, just a, a, a lucky series of meetings. Um, I knew John Kindervog, who was at Forrester, and he kind of called me and he's like, I might wink, wink, be leaving Forrester, wink, wink, and said, you know, I think you should come here. Um, and he basically kind of shoved me into that job. Um, he wouldn't leave me alone until I, uh, went and interviewed. Um, and then I wound up going there and took over for him on the zero trust thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, good people, lucky series of things, not because I'm awesome, because I'm not, I just get lucky. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling, definitely. So that's, that's a pretty good segue. Like one of the one of the things that frustrates me, and I've probably mentioned this ad nauseum on this podcast and on other podcasts, is one of the things that frustrates me about this industry is just alphabet soup or the, oh, look, there's a buzzword. Suddenly every single vendor has to jump on that bandwagon. And it feels like, it feels like zero trust goes through peaks and troughs of that. Like, I think it was really popular 10 years ago after John had started to write that paper and Forrester really started to adopt it. Then it went quiet because Silent started talking about machine learning, which was cool. And then it kind of gained popularity again over the last couple of years. And every single network or security provider appears to do literally do they all, they like, all again, do air quotes. They do ZT come, come buy my zero trust. So, can you give us give us your hot take as, as Dr. Zero Trust, give us your hot take on the state of zero trust in our industry? Well, I mean, the state is that the, the end users are starting to really understand that there's a strategy and that there's value to it. And if they look at it from the perspective that I, I think ZT makes sense of let's remove the things the bad guy needs to be successful and do that continually, then I think that that, that adoption is uh, taking place because I've, I've been having calls with folks in Africa, Japan, Australia, like it's it's global in nature. The, the market, um, you know, vendors do what vendors do and they see something that they can make some money on. And they gravitate to it and they start selling ZT. 
But to be perfectly fair, I don't beat him up too much for selling ZT because one, I think this strategy's got enough merit that we should be speaking about it. But number two, you can build ZT with any technology. It doesn't matter whose it is and how awesome it is. Um, you could build it with totally open source if you had the time and were willing to suffer through the misery of making all that crap work. But it is it is doable. I mean, it's it's strategy thousand percent. The technology just comes along when you pick the tech to enable the strategy. Yeah. So I, I come with thousands of stupid questions and here's one for you. Is, is Zero Trust simply rebadging network access control from 15 years ago? No, that's a component of it. Um, that's, uh, you know, while NAC is, NAC is uh, like the VPN is we've kind of aged past that ZTNA and some of these things are, are a better way of doing it. But, you know, if you want to build your ZT strategy around network access control, hey, you know, that's your poison. By all mm -hmm. means, feel free to drink from the well. Mm -hmm. just make it work for you i mean it's you know it's uh it's strategy like anything else i i i do a lot of workshops with people and you know try and wrap them around just like what strategy actually is and sometimes that's they, they don't it's funny because if you talk to people about business strategy and sales strategy man they get it the moment you say let's talk about security strategy they start going like well why is this different like it's not it's just a different methodology yeah i think that's an interesting question i'm wondering how how do you have that conversation where you try to get someone to see uh you know that a strategy is a strategy it's not and then and then how do they know when they're when they're good not not done but in a better state and how do they decide like what state they want to get to like how do you work through people with those conversations uh so you know first i really kind of ask who's engaged and who's going to be the uh the zt sort of uh uh champion because i you can't achieve any strategy without someone leading you know what i mean and I, I don't mean like someone going oh i've read this book about zt i mean who is the person or people that are going to actually drag you kicking and screaming towards success and then the other thing that i like to wrap their head around is uh, i have a series of slides that i put together because everyone loves powerpoint but really yeah, I looked at the um, the Harvard Business School sales and business strategy, and I put that in front of people and I go, look, all you board people understand this because that's why you're sitting here. Watch, I'm going to switch the words. And now it's a security strategy and their minds go. It's it's that simple. Like, here you go. Strategy is strategy. We're just doing different things. And guess what? You don't stop because you have to keep going to sell more, to grow more business, whatever. It's the same thing in security. Da -da. Is your experience that they do get that or that they still all of a sudden they of like... start going, oh, OK, like now I get it. And then I mean, the, usually the person that's really like thankful is the CISO that's in the background going like, <laughs> yeah, you know, hail, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. And so but but I am curious. So you get so you get them on strategy. All right. They get it. It's a strategy then how do you bring that down to actual change? So they obviously need to now change what they're doing and fund this. Yeah. So how do you bring it back to the reality? Well, the first thing that I like to look for is what, what don't we need? What's redundant? Um, what are we double and triple dipping on so that we can get rid of things that are eating into the budget? Because you're not going to be able to go back to somebody and go, hey, I need a fifth identity and access management solution, right? They're going to be like, well, don't we already have three of these? So you know, pick which one best meets your needs and you're uh, aligned on and then start whittling off all the other stuff. And it's uh, th that constant reminding people that this is not supposed to be a, uh, a cost center. This is supposed to be a business enablement capability and then push that forward. Yeah, that's interesting. I, 
I guess this goes along with your comment about, you know, you don't want to beat up the vendors too much on pushing zero trust because at least now it's in the conversation and there's probably a piece of the pie that they have. So again, how do you approach that conversation where you're just saying like, well, we need to, you know, settle on one of these. Maybe we rip out some of this other stuff. But but how do you start the conversation of what is what is the first step? What do we look at? Because uh, I bet every, I mean, I, I'm sure it's a depends answer, depending <laughs> on the situation. But generally, how do you get people to kind of focus on what's the next thing they can do? So all these people are like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm down with the strategy. I get it. Now what? Well, in a perfect world with the organizations that really are in on this, I I like to have them run either at least a tabletop or a real on red team op and see where they're actually the most vulnerable at and what the reality of compromise looks like for them. And then let's go prioritize around how that occurred, because that's what an adversary is going to do. Why try and uh, learn Kung Fu when the other guy's using, you know, MMA with a nine millimeter? Like, it just doesn't make sense to try and plot around that. So it's. <laughs> That's the great thing. Um, if not, at least a tabletop of, look, you know, here's the scenario. What would you do and where would you react and start building that way? Because um, if you don't put it into a realistic uh, scenario in some way, then it's it's a lot of pontification. You need to, I, I don't want Kentucky windage, you know, lick your finger, stick in the air. I want to know this goes there so that we solve this problem. Yeah, yeah. so it sounds like a, a risk-based, kind of a risk-based approach and you're using... Uh, the tabletop to actualize the risk in the leader's mind so they understand it, then they can apply it. Um, but is there still is there still a hurdle to climb or they I guess I don't know the the context of these conversations, but is there still a hurdle to climb where they're going, well, let's just strengthen the perimeter and we're good. <laughs> I mean, luckily we have so much evidence in the industry that I can point to that it's just <laughs> like, are you better than these guys and those guys and these guys and those guys? I mean, you know, if you're running with the herd and the first eight animals in front of you get murdered, don't do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. I mean, I just just want to roll it back a little bit because you hear about these frameworks all the time, right? There's NIST, there's, you know, God knows what other else ones you can think of right now. And they all apply in some way where you can you can artificially lay them across almost any organization and say, here's where you can improve things. So does that mean that zero trust is in that bucket as well and that there's something in zero trust for every organization? Or are there are there likely to be, you know, these ones where and I'm sure you hear it all the time where people are like, Yeah, it definitely won't work for me because of X, Y, and Z, right? I think I think uh, I think there's some value to be derived from the strategic side of ZT for anybody that's operating in the digital space because it's really pragmatic and it's built on the the realities of that. I think though, to your point, if they get wrapped around trying to do ZT and kind of solve for uh, pencil whipping, you know, like this thing says that, so we got to have this compliance. It that's pointless. It's not pointless, but it's not the point, point. Um, and that's not going to help you actually achieve the outcome you're looking for. So you know the no offense to the auditors in the room, but like that's not actually driving change. It's making mm -hmm. you, you know, use your pencil to check off the spreadsheet. Yeah. And I guess that's that's the hard part, right? So there's there's some kind of parallels, I think, with with what we do with security operations, right? And it's it's not something you buy, it's something you do generally. And there's a bunch of things and a bunch of ways you can do it. 
with security operations for sure, like obviously we can we can help customers. There are other people that can help customers as well. Is there is there something like that with Zero Trust, or is it really more a case of this is has to be driven in house, maybe with the help of some consulting rather than some operationalization people? It depends on my experience, like how much effort you can put into that. Personally, I think the large majority of organizations, especially small and mid-sized businesses, should outsource their security operations to somebody because do what you do. If you're not 100% in on security, don't you know dip your toe in the water and think you're going to get it right because the only thing that's going to happen is going to get bit off. So doing that is not the right approach. I I was doing a consulting engagement with a candy company that was getting ready to stand up a sock. And I was like, dude, y'all make candy. Like just make candy and have someone else do your security. I, I don't know how to make you know, a chocolate bar, but I know how to do, you know, firewall rules. So why would I switch the two up? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I feel like we've beaten zero trust a little bit around. So let's let's step outside of zero trust right now. You talk to a lot of organizations. Is there is there one thing or 10 things that every organization should really think about before they get to zero trust? I mean, I think the real thing to think about is uh, how we, we, we see organizations trying to go for like this idea of like perfect defense, like you'll never be compromised. And if I do this, then I won't have a breach. You're going to get compromised. You're going to get breached. People click phishing links. I hate to be the one to continue to wake folks up. Folks use crappy passwords, right? So like deal with those realities and then put the controls in place to mitigate the risk from those overt things and work your way towards the really hard stuff further on. You know, if you're, if I'm going to get in a car and go 80 miles an hour down the highway, the simplest thing I can do is put my seatbelt on. You know, I don't need to figure out how to dodge cars with an AI powered whatever. Um, I just should buckle my seatbelt and figure the rest out later. Yeah, that's one of the things that that I think about and I hear is, hey, these fancy strategies, not that ZT is super fancy, but, you know, these fancy strategies that are uh, out there, that's not what I'm seeing in like, for example, the Verizon data breach report. I'm seeing credentials. I'm seeing same stuff from 30 of, years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing lack of patching. You know, that that's the stuff that I'm seeing. So what is it, you know, should should I not focus on ZT? Should I focus on, you know, those those bread and butter basics first and then get there? Well, those those basics are part of ZT, you know, like if you're if you're trusting that those are taken care of, you're doing something wrong. And if you're trusting that people don't have bad passwords, you're doing something wrong. So I I mean, there's a zero trust spin on those as well. I I tell people all the time, they, you know, phishing, training, whatever else, like I don't trust my users not to interact with malicious content. It's not that I don't trust my people. I just don't trust users not to do that. I can I can phishing train them from here to eternity and I can glue their hands to the table. They'll click a link with their tongue. So just deal with that. I mean, remove that risk. Like it, it it's crappy passwords. You're going to use a password manager. Yeah, I don't want to, then you don't work here. Like I, you know, that's the other thing that kind of bothers me is when I talk to these business people, they say, well, how do we get, you know, we can't tell our security folks that they have to do this or they have to operate in this manner. My question is if someone worked for you in sales or business and they said, I'm not going to use the software to, for this business, you would say what? Oh, you're fired. Okay. There you Yes. Like do that. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm not I'm not going to use Salesforce. I'm just going to use this. Right. I'm going to do yeah. this on my own spreadsheets in my office with pen and paper. No, you're not. Um, if you want to, you can. You just won't be doing it here. 
So, so the idea that it's not, it's not an either or situation. You just, you use zero trust as a strategy. And if you're at the point where, well, we're kind of all at the point where we're trying to mitigate phishing and we're trying to deal with, with credentials, you're just saying roll that in and make it part of the strategy. And yeah, you can do maybe the more advanced stuff as well. It's all part of the same strategy. Yeah. I mean, if you like, I love the Dibber, right? Because if you look at the Dibber, you can look at trends and data for the last, let's just say five years. If you see the top three methods of exploitation are phishing and credentials, what should you focus on first? It ain't DLP. You know what I mean? So like this is, this is, it, it gets kind of comical to me because this is the only space that the bad guy literally tells you what they're going to do. And people go, I don't know how to solve this problem. <laughs> it's, it's there. Yeah, it's also an industry where we use a technology that was invented in the 60s and pretend like we can, you know, keep it really secure in email. Oh, yeah, and we give it to everybody and say anyone can contact you at any time. Go ahead and try to try to protect that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, this this is uh, I, I, I call I call it like big farmer for cyber. I'm going to give you a lot of treatment for the symptoms, but the disease, don't worry about it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that's that's a, certainly a good hot take but in security in general you got any other hot takes for us today chase i mean i think the one thing that really stands out to me is the the growth of the market around uh, browser isolation because that does mm -hmm. fit in really well with taking care of the user like you see hundred million dollar funding rounds showing up now for yeah. you know island and talon and surf yeah. and all these others and it if you if you step back and look at how someone would interact with malicious stuff, how are you going to do it nowadays? It's going to be the browser. So why would I not use that as a control? Um, and it's not, you know, agreed. The the crappy VDI of the past has gone away. This, yeah. These are real actual browser tech. So I think it's worth looking at. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Well, listen, thanks. Thanks for your time today, Chase. This has been super. Is there what we got you here? Is there anything you want to plug? Where can the Internet find you? Uh, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, uh, published a bunch of books. So please buy those. Cause I got kids that need, you know, stuff. Um, and, uh, I'm on a, I have a podcast called Dr. Zero trust. It's on all the uh, podcast channels and, uh, you know, I do live streams on Wednesdays. Awesome. Adam, anything from you today? Hey, I just want to thank Chase for being here. This was great. It's awesome to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening until next time. See you then. Yeah.